This is Brad Cooper with Purpose Nation. Great to be with you. We've been on a bit of a break from the podcast due to COVID-19, but we're back and really looking forward to today's interview. Up until now, this has been an audio-only podcast, but as you can see, at least if you're watching this on YouTube anyway, we're moving to video. And now also due to COVID, the home office here is uh, in a little bit of a transition, let's say. So uh, I'm sure if you have if your parents at home with kids, I you can probably understand what's going on, but bear with me. We've got a virtual background today here, you can see, uh, but hopefully, and it's not perfect, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll get a little better setup here coming soon. So stay tuned for that. But to kick off, our first video edition of the podcast. I'm so excited today to have as our guest, someone who really, really likes to keep folks like Richard Dawkins and others like that on their toes, Dr. John Lennox. Dr. Lennox, thank you so much and welcome to the Purpose Nation podcast. Thank you very much. Great, great to have you. Thanks for being with me. Uh, hopefully you've been holding up okay uh, with all the things going on in COVID and I know you've been doing a lot of calls and it's evening there. In, in Oxford and getting late. So appreciate being with us uh, late, late your time. And for those of you, don't, of you who don't know uh, Dr. Lennox, he's Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at Oxford University, University of Oxford. And he's an internationally renowned speaker and author. And he has some amazing books spanning the field of science and philosophy and religion. He's traveled the world defending the rationality of Christianity and belief in God. And he's also famous, as I said, for some great debates with folks like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Peter Singer. And uh, hopefully, hopefully I got all of that right there, uh, Dr. Lennox, but um, just an amazing, brilliant, brilliant guy. And I'm so glad to have him on the podcast. I, I have the bio here in front of me, but what's one of the things that maybe we don't know about you that's not in your bio? Any, any like hobbies or special talents we don't know about? Well, as a little hobby, I like watching the stars and I've got a, an observatory in my garden with a 10 inch telescope, but unfortunately- they unfortunately the skies over here tend to be very cloudy so i haven't been out for a few nights but i was looking at andromeda galaxy the other night also other hobbies are languages and a bit of bird watching so i keep myself interested in lots of things that's great yeah so you picked a great place i guess for and i did too i grew up in upstate new york and it was cloudy and rainy there kind of a little bit like england um, I've got the stars here in my background, and uh, yeah, we just had this the uh, this the space capsule, the the Dragon's uh, capsule, so you can maybe try to see ISS, the International Space Station, fly over this week as well. So that's great. And and Irvine, believe it or not, is one of the best places for bird watching. We have like hundreds really? of species oh, well. of I birds here. So if you're ever in the neighborhood, uh, my son who loves bird watching, we'll 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 take you out and show you of our birds here. Thank you. We have some great, uh, some great birds to see. So uh, great also to, to, to hear about and see a new feature like uh, length film uh, that Dr. Lennox stars in, if I don't, uh, if I can use that word, along with Kevin Sorbo, also a movie star, and it's called Against the Tide. And I really want to talk about that. Um, it's just a great movie. I encourage everyone to go see it. It is going to be in limited release in theaters starting this week. It'll also be available for small groups, uh, I guess, in watching and streaming and things like that. Um, so Kevin Sorbo, uh, who's kind of uh, the host of, of the movie, everybody knows him from Hercules and movies like God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light. Uh, it was just a, it was a great, uh, great, great film, really well done, excited about it. How did that come about? What, how, how did you get involved with that film and 
Um, what was your reasons for, for doing it? Well, it goes back quite a long way. And it's a Pensmore Films production. And the director of Pensmore Foundation is a physicist called Steve Huff, who's very interested in the science and God debate. And he was very concerned about naturalism and the way in which it's affecting not only the academy, but all around the world in schools and colleges. And he came across one of my earlier books. I think it was God's Undertaker, a Science Buried God. And he was visiting Oxford and he looked me up and we became friends and he invited me over to the U.S. to several conferences, some of them in Westminster Theological Seminary. But in his home one evening, they showed God's Not Dead. I hadn't seen it before. And I was intrigued and very surprised to discover that right at the beginning of it, the Christian student challenged the atheist professor who was played by Kevin Sorbo was some of my arguments. That was the first mm. I'd ever heard that my arguments were in the film. And thinking about that later, I'm sure it was Steve Huff came up with the idea of making a film and involving Kevin Sorbo. Not now as the Hollywood actor, but more as a person who's intrigued to discover who this professor at Oxford is, who leaves his comfort zone to challenge people like Richard Dawkins. And that's how it got started. And eventually we filmed in Oxford and in Israel and the Karis Productions team was mainly responsible for that in the United Kingdom. So that's the genesis of it as far as I can recall it. That's great. And yeah, he does an excellent job in it, uh, Kevin Sorbo, in kind of exploring your life. And I really enjoyed how it's, it's sort of a parallel between your life and also uh, at the same time, simultaneously talking about some of the central themes that you put forward, you know, as a defense for the Christian faith. So interweaving those two, those two elements. One of the things I enjoyed too about it in learning, you know, kind of learning about your birdwatching and, and uh, astronomy uh, was also learning a couple other things I didn't know about you or didn't know as much. And two of them, I'll, I'll start with one, which was growing, growing up in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, it, seemed, it, it seemed very interesting in terms of the way you talked about that and, and how that experience maybe had an influence on you later. And how you, and here in the United States, you might hear we have some interesting conflicts going on <laughs> internally in our own country. Um, so the timing seemed interesting as well for that. Um, tell, me, tell me about that. What was it like growing up uh, in, in Northern Ireland? Well, when I was a teenager, the so-called troubles, the sectarian tension was mounting. And it was fairly clear that it would end up in violence, which it did for quite a number of years. And it was a divided country. And there was a lot of hatred and bigotry. And my parents were very unusual because they were keen Christians, but they weren't bigoted at all in the sense that my father ran a store and he employed equally across the communities as much as he could and got bombed for it. It was very dangerous to do that. And I asked him once why he took the risk. And he said, look, as far as I'm concerned, all men and women, irrespective of what they believe, are made in the image of God and therefore are valuable. And I'm going to treat them like that. Mm. 
And that was a very profound lesson for me. And I've tried as best I can to put it into practice so that I want to enter into debate, say, with perhaps very hostile opponents, but respect them uh, as mm. human beings. But the second thing was that my parents, although very deeply convinced Christians, they lived it credibly, but they didn't force it on me. They gave me space to think and even encouraged me to think about other worldviews. So I didn't grow up with a lot of baggage. Mm. And that was a tremendous foundation for going to Cambridge and entering the debate right from the very word go. That's amazing. That's an amazing uh, experience to grow up in. Um, and then you're, when did you start to have an interest in math or in science? Was it a young age later on? Oh, no, very, very young. Well, I was interested in everything. I wanted, first of all, to be a linguist. Hmm. And then I, I moved on from that to be interested in uh, electrical engineering because I became a ham radio operator when I was very young. And that I used to learn foreign languages, to learn to speak them. And that was a key, as the film shows, to my mm. later work in both uh, Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. But in the end, I was persuaded to go for mathematics simply to give me a chance to get to Cambridge because mm. the school I was at had fairly varied quality in its teaching staff and only in mathematics could they offer me the kind of level of teaching that gave me a chance of getting into Cambridge, which I eventually did. That's great. And did you, uh, in your travels, uh, so obviously Kevin Sorbo plays uh, an atheist professor in uh, God's Not Dead. And I don't know if he was modeled after, you know, one of your debate partners uh, <laughs> that you may have run into into debates. But what was your experience in college? Did you ever run into uh, the professor like Kevin Sorbo played, or was it mostly, uh, were they accepting of Christians, or what was your experience? Oh, no, no, no. There, there was everything. There was every worldview represented. And indeed, quite early on in my undergraduate career, I got into conversation with a Nobel Prize winner who tried to tell me that, in fact, he did tell me that if I kept on with this naive Christian faith, I'd never make it. Uh, I would suffer by comparison with my colleagues. And he said, if you want to make a career in science, you give up your naive faith mm. in God. And that was a very important incident to happen to someone at the age of 19, because I asked him what he had to offer me that was better than anything I'd got. Wow. And what he had to offer me was something I happened to know about because I'd read C.S. Lewis. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'll take the risk and I'll stay with what I've got. I've actually put that story into a much more recent book, which is called Can Science Explain Everything? Hmm. And um, that set a compass bearing for me in life. And I resolved that ever, if ever I got into an academic position where people might be prepared to listen to me, I would never browbeat anybody, but present them with evidence and encourage them to make up their own minds. Hmm. And so it sounded like you were standing against the tide early on. Um, it oh, seems yes. like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. It seems like we've had a high tide, uh, if we want to talk about that recently, maybe in the last 10 years with New Atheism and Richard Dawkins and others. Um, what is causing, do you think, or what sparked maybe this high tide that we might be seem to be in right now? Well, 
I think it's a very complex mix of different things. In academia, you, you look back to the time of the Huxleys and the time of Darwin and the whole fight of the Huxleys against what they called amateur clergymen who were naturalists and interested in the natural world. And Huxley wanted to close all the churches and put up statues to the goddess Sophia and all that kind of stuff. And that partly flowed, I think, from the Enlightenment. And in France, you had a very corrupt church, and you could see that people reacted against it. Hmm. And then there was the complexity uh, lent the whole thing by Newton's genius and the clockwork universe that came out of his thinking, and God tended to recede into the background. So there's a whole complex of things. I, I, I find it very difficult when, when people say, what exactly causes this? It's, it's very hmm. hard to say. but the the high tide of Dawkins and Hitchens and Co. The difference between that and what went before it was the element of mockery and arrogance, and railing against Christians very irrationally, and trying to browbeat them. And that mm. has not been successful. I think that is very much past its height. Now the tide is more in terms of political correctness and all this kind of thing that you mustn't say anything to offend anybody else, so you can't have proper dialogue in a public space. Hmm. But we still have elements of all the other stuff as well, because it's a very complex world into which we have to say something that hopefully makes sense to someone. Right. Well, and unfortunately, they got to be well-known during their times and time. Um, and so I think the name recognition for Richard Dawkins, unfortunately, is much higher than most of our scientists we have in the U.S. Uh, so I think, you know, I think there was a survey done where 30% of people in the United States, still not high, recognize his name. But I think Francis Collins, who's one of our top scientists here, you know, uh, it, it, it was about 4%. So it's, it's unfortunate that when, when people think, and Christians, especially here in the United States, think of scientists, uh, people like Richard Dawkins come to mind, but we're going to change that. We're, we're hoping to change that. And hopefully Dr. John Lennox will come to mind when people uh, think about uh, science, <laughs> think about scientists and mathematicians. Um, the two things, so the two things I mentioned Northern Ireland. And the second one was, you mentioned as well as the cold war. Not many young people today were, have any idea of the cold war. <laughs> uh, you know, my kids, for example, sure. They hear, they see things in the news maybe and hear me talk about it. Um, but I am, old enough to remember those days. Um, so talk to us about that. What was your experience there? And, and what was important about that in terms of your journey uh, that you've been on? Well, the fact that I got involved in that part of the world comes from my interest in languages. I'm a fluent German speaker and was fairly early on. And one of the things I did after completing my PhD and getting a university post was to do research in West Germany. And I really got the language fluently having a year there. And that opened up the possibility of my going to Eastern Europe. Because in those days, starting in Hungary, very few people spoke English. But Many people spoke German uh, as an aftermath of the Second World War. And so I started to visit those countries, and particularly the German Democratic Republic, which was heavily communist and atheist. 
And I went there a lot in, in the 70s and, and 80s, speaking, mainly teaching scripture and teach, teaching the Bible. And in addition to that, I became a, a Russian translator of mathematics into English. And I went after 89, I started going to Russia. And there again, experienced huge interest on the part of people in universities and students to meet this very strange professor who was an academic and believed in God. Uh, that was fairly unusual for them. Well, and yeah, so, and you had mentioned earlier, kind of in the age that we're in, in political correctness and even in the science community, right? Things you can and can't say. Um, so that's why, to me, when I saw that in the film, uh, and your background there, again, brought parallels to our current world <laughs> that we are unfortunately seeming to live in, where there is a lot of censorship and um, and people are afraid to say things that might go against against the tide, against the grain. I was going to ask you, uh, so you, all, you have a new book coming out, uh, and I believe it's called uh, 2084. Is that right? What is that a book well, about? It's it sounds already out. Oh, okay. It's already out. Okay. It, it sounds fascinating. It's artificial intelligence. Well, tell us about that. Well, the title is 2084, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. And the book has several purposes. The first is to instruct people, whether they're Christian or not, as to exactly what artificial intelligence is and what it isn't, and to demystify it, but also to indicate that there are two kinds of artificial intelligence. There's stuff that actually works at the moment, and then there is the kind of futuristic quest for a superintelligence by uh, genetically enhancing human beings or constructing life from silicon or something like that. And what I wanted to do was to get across to people that there are some very positive things that are being done by AI systems at the moment, such as the search for vaccine for, for COVID-19. But like a sharp knife, AI can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And the surveillance techniques, the photographic techniques that can recognize diseases uh, can be used to sort out criminals from a crowd, which is great, but can also be used as surveillance technology to suppress a minority so that there are huge ethical problems. And one of the things I actually want to do is encourage young people, particularly Christians who are scientifically literate, to get into this field so they make a positive contribution on the one hand and are able to contribute to the ethical thinking on the other. Because what's very obvious to most people is that the technological advances outpace the ethical underpinning and thinking. And we run into trouble. And so people like Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking and so on, were scared of the developments. So that's why I, I wrote this book. At least those are two of the reasons. They're not the only reasons. And what, I guess what's, what scares you most as you look at that landscape? What, what, what concerns you the most? Well, what concerns me most is the central issue of what is a human being? As a Christian, I believe human beings are unique because they're made in the image of God, and that's what gives them their value. 
as Jordan Peterson pointed out in a very interesting lecture on the first chapter of Genesis. He referred to the statement that God made men and women in his own image, and he said that is the cornerstone of civilization. And then he said, we neglect it at our peril. And we are neglecting it because one of the drivers in artificial general intelligence is to say, right, we've moved from the animal stage to the human stage, Mark 1, but we don't need to stop there. We can now take control of our destiny and buy into the transhumanist vision and turn the human beings into gods, to quote Yuval Noah Harari. So I interact quite a lot with the book Homo Deus, which is a bestseller, mm. and its title tells the whole story. Yeah. A man who is God or the God-man, which is Harari's agenda for the 21st century. And I want to point out that this is a very ancient idea, and we need to think about it very carefully because... That kind of thinking in the past has led to hundreds of millions of people dying. The Russians mm. attempted in earlier years to construct a new man and to do all kinds of eugenic experiments, and it, it was absolutely disastrous. So the thinking here, although it hasn't been realized yet, nonetheless, it's raising sufficient concern for people trying to desperately to get some kind of international ethical agreement so that we won't create, if ever we do, a superintelligence that will wipe humanity out, for instance. So there are huge questions, and I simply wanted to separate the hype and the science fiction from the reality, but nevertheless, to point up the issues that are at stake here, and they're very important issues, particularly for Christians to think about. That's great. And that's the, the book is 2084. And we'll have a link on our uh, podcast page uh, for more information about that and all of uh, Dr. Lennox's other books, as well as the film Against the Tide. So talking about Against the Tide real quick, the uh, one of the lines in the movie, and I don't, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit um, that you said, which was also very impactful to me. Uh, you talked about not standing alone, wanting, not wanting to stand alone against the tide and raising up other Christians uh, to become interested in science and math and other fields so that, so that you're not, uh, you know, the guy with the, the finger in the, in the hole in the dike, you know, with the thumb in the dike, you're, you're standing against the tide with others. Uh, what did you mean by that? And, and how best do you think we can do that to raise up others? Well, I to simply join mean by that, that we need to educate another generation in these things. And in our country, a survey was done asking why people were leaving the church and turning their back on it. And the main answer by far was, they're not answering our questions. And therefore, it's very important for pastors and churches and leaders to not try and deal with all of this stuff themselves, because many of them are not scientifically trained, but to use the scientists in their congregations to really develop and get interest going so that young people will know what they think about these issues. And because they're so interesting in their own right, once young people get to a certain level of understanding, then they can go on their own and become very powerful witnesses in society. But if the church doesn't deal with these issues, then that's an utter tragedy. And there still is, in some parts of the world, a kind of anti-intellectualism, as if that's godliness. 
when the very first commandment is love the Lord your God with your mind. It's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's right. And then the second commandment is to love your neighbor. And what better way to love yes, your neighbor than right. coming up with cures for COVID or curing some other disease? Correct. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, so that's great. Uh, and yes, and that's what we're about at Purpose Nation. We also did a survey of uh, about a thousand folks here in the United States and very similar. And so we asked that one of the questions we asked was, who do you go to for more information about science and technology issues? Like you said, they have questions. Who do, you, who do you think they go to, church-going Christians here in the United States? Well, they probably go to the internet, I would imagine. <laughs> they, they don't go to the internet, they don't go, go to a to. professor, they don't go to the news, they go to their pastor or their priest. Oh, yes, well, so that's all right. Fits right into, what, yes, it's hopeless. Fit, fits right Sadly, into what you were saying. So we need to educate yes. them um, and we need to educate others. What would you say to a young person? So not everyone is are the professors that you ran into in college. Not everyone is like uh, Kevin Sorbo's char uh, character in God's uh, Not Dead. There are a lot of brilliant scientists, professors who are also very strong Christians. Uh, yes, and, you know that are. In, in these fields. So we don't want to scare people away. Uh, we want to encourage them. But what would there's you say no to a young person? To, there's no need to scare people away because the issue is not between science and God at all. And that can be seen very easily, and it amazes pe me why people don't see it. If you take the Nobel Prize for Physics, an American, Bill Phillips, won it some years ago, who is a Christian, uh, and um, <clears throat> he of the Higgs boson in Scotland won it just a few years ago. He's an atheist. But it's not physics that divides those men. They're both equally brilliant. It's their worldview. It's a worldview issue. And there are brilliant atheists who do science and brilliant Christians who do science. And what we need to teach young people is the issue is a worldview issue. There are scientists on both sides. So what you need to examine is this. Does science point to God or away from God? And there's masses of stuff available on the internet. Um, my web page, people use a lot, johnlennox.org, and there's your web page, and there's all kinds of information. But I fear that often young people are glued to tablets and uh, smartphones all day long, and they don't do enough reading or thinking. And possibly in the Christian world, they're not sufficiently concerned, some of them, with their fellow students to do the work to try to answer the questions their fellow students have. Because I guarantee once young Christians begin to witness in that way and find it difficult and have to answer questions, that changes lives faster than anything I know. How has faith influenced your work as a scientist and mathematician and theologian and linguist and vice versa? Faith in what? Uh, your Christian faith. <laughs> yes, well, uh, yes. How has see, your Christian faith uh, influenced your your walks, you both in your professional life and then vice versa? How does how does what you see in science and math uh, influence your your view? The reason I I asked that back to you is very important. The word faith is ambiguous in our contemporary world. You were using it as a shorthand for Christianity. But actually, it's a normal word that, that means trust and belief. And I want to get across to folks, and it's very difficult, that faith 
is something we all use every day in every conceivable context. And as a scientist, I have to trust that nature is basically intelligible before I'll do any science at all. Einstein once said, I cannot imagine a scientist without that faith. So when people say to me, talk about science and faith, I say, just a minute, do you think faith is not involved in science? If you mean talk about science and faith in God, I'll do that. But to make it equal on both sides, you'll have to get me to talk about faith in science and faith in God and what justifies either of those two things. So the new atheists have done a brilliant job in redefining faith as a religious word that means believing where there's no evidence. And I find many of my colleagues have bought right into that. So we need to we need to tease that out a little bit. So from the very beginning, you see, I learned this as a teenager, that from C.S. Lewis, in fact, that faith in God was actually the presupposition behind the rise of modern science. So the connection to my mind was very clear. And so the very exercise of science, the fact that it can be done, is evidence that points towards God. And therefore, it's central to life. It's not just central to Christian life. It's central to all of life. I have faith in my wife. It's evidence-based. I have faith in science. It's evidence-based. I have faith in Christ. It's evidence-based. And to get that across to people, but they insist on putting faith in a separate box. And faith, of course, they call me a faith head, which means I'm an idiot. That's a great, uh, great point, and uh, you illustrated it very well. Um, and yes, it, it is. It has become a loose word. I think hopefully most of our audience here would understand what I meant by it. But I completely understand oh, well, what you're of saying. Of course, so did I. But I was taking That's the right. opportunity. Oh no, to, I, I, to I, help I, people I, on this. I get the point. Yeah, and we have um, what anyway. So talking a little bit more about the movie. Um, so it opens uh, this week uh, in limited release. And, and is it outside of the United States or is it only in the U.S.? Right no, now? no, only in the U.S. on the 19th, 20th, and 23rd, I believe. Okay. It's one of these fathom events. And That's then right. subsequently it will be on DVD and various other things. It's organized from within the U.S. So I have mercifully nothing to do with that. Except Hopefully. I'd encourage people to go. That's right. So if you, you know, COVID restrictions here in the United States, but if you are safe to go out, um, there will be, I assume, other opportunities. I believe there's a ways for churches to show it uh, and other groups here in the United States, and then I guess streaming uh, options as well here coming up soon. And again, it's Against the Tide, and it's with Dr. John Lennox and uh, also starring Kevin Sorbo. I'm hoping to have Kevin actually also uh, later this week uh, on the podcast as well. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk to him about it. He, he seemed very inquisitive. Uh, I imagine he had a lot of questions for you. Oh, he was great. Absolutely great. And, uh, there were genuine questions, which is why I enjoyed so much working with him. I'm glad you're going to have him on because I learned a lot from that and I'm encouraged to think that he really enjoyed it. Well, you told us something we may not know about you. What, what might people not know about Kevin Serbo? that you learned? Oh, they probably know far more because I've never seen Hercules or Andromeda or anything else. But he's a fine Christian believer and um, has taken a stand. And uh, that is very important to him. And 
I would be fascinated to see how the public respond to this film. Well, it's a but, great film. Uh, I enjoyed it. Got to see it over the weekend. Uh, like I said, I, I really loved how it combined and interwove uh, your story, which is fascinating in itself, but then also um, providing people with some really nice kind of simple arguments. It doesn't, it doesn't go into deep uh, group theory of math uh, <laughs> or anything like that. It's all, you know, in layman's terms and things that anyone would be able to pick up and understand and use, uh, you know, in, in uh, Dr. Lennox's That's right. Work. And I should, I should add that at this moment, I'm finishing a guidebook to the film because the film medium doesn't lend itself to detailed analysis of important questions. And as I watched it again, I thought, oh, I wish I'd said that. I wish I'd said the other thing. We need to go into this in more depth. So I've written a guidebook, and I think it's important for those watching your podcast to realize the film is essentially in two parts. The first part is dealing with science and the God question, essentially. But the second part is dealing with the further step, and that is the rationality of Christianity. It's specific to the Christian faith, because I often get the question, it's all right talking about God and evidence of design and nature, but you're a Christian. How, how do you go from one to the other? And we're attempting to combine these two things in a film, which does not often happen, I understand. Mm -hmm. And that's why the second part of it was filmed, where it all started in Israel. It's beautiful cinematography. Uh, it's really well done. So it's not, and it's not your, so it's not your average documentary. It's not your average faith-based uh, film that you might see Kevin Sorbo in. So it's a little bit of a departure for him. And I guess a departure for you as well, because you're, you're usually speaking. Well, I've never books. done anything like it before. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a really well done. And I, I hope to see more of it and more of you. And just thank you uh, so much, Dr. Lennox, for all you've been doing uh, these many years going against the tide. And uh, this wonderful film, I encourage everybody to see it. And as well, check out uh, some of Dr. Lennox's books and, and we'll, we'll keep an eye out for the guidebook as well. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And oh, you're I very welcome. It's your a own work does really well and helps many people. Likewise, God bless. And I hope you get to see some unique birds in the neighborhood or in your in your area. And again, if you're uh, ever in Southern California, we'll, we'll, we'll come show you some of the rare birds we have here. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. God bless. Dr. Lennox, thank you. Thank you for joining the Purpose Nation podcast. For more great interviews, resources, or to make your tax-deductible contribution to support our nonprofit ministry, please visit PurposeNation.org. This program is copyright Purpose Nation, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit corporation.